Well, good morning to you. Uh, my name is Tim Wallstrom, for those who don't know me. I'm the pastor of small groups here at Valley Bible Church, and um, I'm excited to be here. Our small groups have just uh, completed uh, a session some that began in September on the study of grace of God. And so as the small groups pastor, I'm here to kind of continue and kind of uh, reemphasize this wonderful topic. Now, as you would probably guess, anybody who believes they can cover the grace of God in a 30-minute message, which you're hoping for, it may not be, but a 30-minute message would be an insane person, and you would be right. I would be insane, but I'm going to cover a few things out of this. And as small groups pastor, I must grab this opportunity to and let you know that the people who have participated this last uh, four, three months have just had wonderful stories of what God and His grace have accomplished in their lives and how they have bonded with one another in their groups. I would encourage you, beginning January, we're starting small groups again, and for anyone who's not yet been connected in a small group, please join. Please join us. Yeah, we're going to be studying a book called uh, Good to Great in God's Eyes, and it's for anyone who wants to be a significant Christian. If that's you, this is a study that you would enjoy and would benefit you greatly. Well, the study today is on the grace of God, and let me just start with the basics. It's a common word. We use it a lot in our society, and if you ask the common person, maybe on the street, what's grace, you might hear things like, uh, isn't that what they say before meals? Um, or they would say, I know it's that Grace Kelly person, the princess of Monaco, that's Grace. Or they might say, it's what I hope the bank gives me or my landlord gives me when my payment is late. Well, and even Christians, I think, become very familiar with words we use a lot. And we can say them over and over again but not appreciate the richness of the word. And so what I want to say is, if you think about that, our pastor uh, so uh, wisely pointed out the things on our wall. There are three of these banners on our wall that speak of grace. We believe in grace. So what is grace? Do we all have a common understanding of what grace is? Well, grace started out even uh, uh, in the Old Testament. One might say, well, grace is a New Testament concept. It's not simply a New Testament concept. In fact, we hear about it in the very first, first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 6, when God was about to destroy all of humanity for its wickedness, he picked out one man and seven of his family to rescue. Not because he was sinless, because he just chose them to rescue them. And it says, and Noah found favor, grace, in the eyes of the Lord. The New Testament also talks of grace over and over. In fact, Paul began and ended over 16 of his letters with the word grace to you from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It was an important subject even to the new church. But even as you remember in the Reformation, one of the five solas, the five onlys, that cried out of the Reformation was sola gracia, grace alone. That's what we said over here. You've been saved through grace alone, without works. 
So let's just go through here to make sure we have a common understanding because I'm going to use the word grace frequently in our message today. But when I use it, I don't want you to think of something you say before a meal. I don't want you to think of a person other than God. What I want you to think about are these concepts. Grace is God's undeserved and unmerited, catch that, undeserved and unmerited favor toward a wicked, unworthy sinner by which he delivers from sin and its penalty. God's free and completely unmerited goodness by which he blesses us eternally. Well, th so the sin, that, the blessing that we get in grace is not just for salvation and freedom from sin, it's for the rest of our eternity. Grace pursues us. Well, this meaning actually carries with it, if you want to think of some words, um, a sense of favor, true, blessing, goodness, pleasure, kindness, joy, attractiveness, mercy. All of these things are wrapped up into this wonderful word, grace. When God gives that to us freely and undeservedly, we have to say, whoa, that's a pretty big gift. It's a pretty big gift. So what's the source of this grace? Well, we just heard it. God. The Father is the source of this grace. And what did he do to deliver this grace to us? What did he do to deliver it? He gave us Jesus. Jesus was, let me just look at the verse. It says, the word became flesh, John 1, 14, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, the person, the man. When Jesus walked onto the scene of earth, grace showed up. Grace showed up. And in that grace, he brought salvation to all mankind. Now, what we might want to say is, well, what's the nature of that grace? What do I do to get that grace? Well, let's look at 2 Timothy quickly. Uh, you're not going to turn there, but let me read it for you. 2 Timothy 1, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. Got that? Anybody thinking about it, anything you've done? Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time and now has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow, this grace, God knew we need it before the beginning of time. Did you know that God has never needed grace? He's never done anything wrong to need grace. All of the praise and honor and glory and blessing and goodness is what he deserves, not unmerited. Everything is merited to God. So God has never needed something, but he created it for us. He knew before the beginning of the world, before Adam showed up, these people are going to need grace. And I'm going to send my son Jesus to deliver it. That's an amazing thing. So when you think about this, I want you to think that this grace given before the beginning of time was unmerited, undeserved, not because of anything you have done or ever will do. You don't have to work hard to keep it. There's nothing you did to earn it. There's nothing you can do to lose it, okay? So God said, but is there a limit to this grace? How extravagant of a gift is it? It said the grace is a gift, right? That's what the verse says. So how extravagant of a gift did God give you? 
Well, how far was he willing to go? You know, some people are only worth a $20 gift. Some people are maybe, ooh, a $50 gift. What gift did God say you were worth? Sinners, guilty sinners. Romans 8 says, He who spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? How extravagant of a giver is that? I, I wouldn't give up my son. I'm glad he's sitting here, but I'm not going to give him up. Never. I, I don't have that gene in me. God, by nature, said in Exodus 34, I am the compassionate, gracious God. That is who I am. I'm not the judgmental, awe-inspiring God that will judge you. I am the compassionate and gracious God, abounding in steadfast love. Wow, can we grasp this? Because this grace is powerful, extravagant, overwhelming, unending, and undeserved. It has no equal. So let me just point out three things you probably should already know if you've been here a while. So refreshing our memory is often good. Peter said this in his letters. Paul said this in his letters. I know you already know this, but let me remind you. Let me remind you, because this world has a way of robbing us of our truth, robbing us of our joy, robbing us of what's right. It's good to be reminded. Well, three things. I mean, grace has accomplished so much in our life, but I'm only going to give you three. It brings us salvation. It saves us from the presence and the penalty of sin. I mean, I, I, I want to go on. Grace gives us causes us to be more like Christ. God is not content saving you, giving you a ticket to heaven and saying, well, I don't know what's going to happen with you, but I'll see you at the end. That's not his strategy. He changes us along the way. And thirdly, God says it sustains us. It supplies us with everything we need for the journey. Okay, now let's just start these because I think sometimes we fret too much about how much we've done um, the bad in our life, the good and the bad. I mean, I, this is grace, people. This is unmerited, undeserved, and we're going to see what God has done on your behalf for us. So grace. Some of you might think, well, when did it start? According to Acts 18, 27, the verse is simple. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. Did you know that it takes God's grace for you even to want to want him? You didn't run around saying, oh, I need to find God, and I, I'll look in all the right places, I'll study hard enough, and I'll find him. That is not possible, people. That is not possible. God gave you the grace to even believe enough to want him. It starts right there. You didn't do a thing. He gave you the belief to believe. Second, grace brings us salvation without works of righteousness. According to that verse, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
this is a rescuing verse for many people because no, a lot of us don't have enough works, even if we tried, to try to stack them up. And God says, hey, there's a way to get here, a way to be forgiven that doesn't count on you. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on what I've done for you. And it's by grace. And you access it through faith. What is that grace gift? That was Jesus given on the cross. Him sent, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended, coming again. This Jesus brings grace. And by faith in him, we have access to God and forgiveness from sin. Well, it says, I'm not going to go through all of these. I would trust that I know you'll love the study so much, you'll take it home and read all these verses at home, and I know you'll just be riveted when you do that. But let's just take a couple of these. Grace justifies us freely. This is imp important. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've heard that. We use that to convict people, right? But it says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. This is a free gift. You were declared righteous to God by grace, by faith in him. I just get overwhelmed when I see this. And God places us in a new family. He adopts us. He puts us in his family. He gives us a new eternal destiny. It's not hell any longer. It is heaven. It is to be with him in paradise forever. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more sadness. No more death. No more goodbye. It's over. It's over. That's what he gives us through grace. So what does it say? Well, we're saved by grace, and works don't save us. Not even church works. So if you're working today, stop. Please stop. Don't work to please God that way. It does not accomplish righteousness. I like what the first line or the second line of John Newton, a notorious slave trader, sinner, profligate, an unholy man, but he understood what grace did. And he said, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." See, he understood it was even grace that made him afraid of a God. Are you afraid of God? It says, fear God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Do you fear God? Well, that gift is a gift of grace. Just to start there. Yeah, I fear you, but now what do I do? And it says, and grace my fears relieved. That grace led him to Jesus and relieved those fears. This is, this is important, people. If this is where it starts. So if you are trying today to earn this righteousness, I say again, stop it. Stop it. Trust Christ alone. It's a freely given gift of grace. God can make you a part of his forever family if you just believe him and trust in Jesus. Well, let's not stop there because God's grace sanctifies. God never intended us to stay just a saved sinner sitting in our mess. That was not part of his plan. He would not treat his children like that. We wouldn't treat ours like that. You bring him home from the hospital and say, well, you're a baby now. I hope you make it. Would we do that? We wouldn't do that. God is a good father. We just sang about that. He's a good father. 
So he wants to transform us. So what, what transforms us? Now, you might say, what is God's method? Well, God's method is not our method. Now, we think in our society, the way we get people to believe and to obey is to create one more rule or one more law. See, what keeps people from doing the right thing is they don't have enough laws, right? So we, we just said, well, don't kill people. So we need a law for that. Oh, we already have one. Um, how about don't, don't steal from people? Oh, yeah, we already have a law about that. So how effective has law ever been at getting us to be righteous? Ineffective. That's what Paul said. The law was ineffective to do what grace can do. God's method. Let's look at Titus 2, 11. So we're not under law anymore, according to Romans 6. But in Titus 2, it says, For the grace of God has appeared in Christ that offers salvation to all people. Now, I hope you understand, if you're in this room, you qualify right there. All people. There is no select group here. There's no select background. There's no select education, no select economic level, no select race, no select anything. All people Jesus brings salvation to. And it says, it, grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly, like God lives in this present age. So what teaches us? The grace of God. The grace of God is our teacher. If the grace of God is our teacher, that means it nurtures us, it teaches us, it uh, instructs us, it educates us, it disciplines us. That's the word in Scripture often for teaches, it's discipline. It's not for punishment, it's for education and development. Guess what? Jesus Christ, we learned, is the embodiment of God's grace. So who's our teacher? Jesus. The Word of God is our teacher. Jesus' Word is our teacher. So laws and rules will make me want to break them every time. Um, only grace will teach me and give me the power to do what's right. See, that's the difference. Law can tell you what's wrong but gives you no power. Grace is a gift of God that not only points out what's right but it redefines your mind. It gives you a new appreciation for right and makes you even want to do it. So God wants us not to be stay in one place, but he also wants us to grow in this grace. How do we grow in this grace? Well, in 2 Peter 3, it says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, how does anything grow? Don't you nourish it? And don't you, maybe if you're a body, you want to exercise it? You all know that sitting in your easy chair doesn't give you better strength, right? You know that. As a former runner that used to love to run, and I used to run seven, eight miles, no problem, I laid off for three years, and I tried to run just to the end of the driveway. <laughs> and it was hard and painful. So exercise is one of these methods. So here's what I'm going to try to encourage you with. God does not want to leave you right where you are, but it's going to take a couple things to build you up. One of those things is prayer and his word. According to uh, Acts 20, it says, Now I commit, to God, God, commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. You want to get built up? Get in his word. That's what it says. Whose word is it? It's Jesus' word. He's the word from heaven, John 1. 
So God's grace can take you from wherever you are to wherever he's trying to get you. You don't have to have enough brains and horsepower and desire if you surrender to him and say, Lord, I'm going to read your word, I'm going to trust you. He will take you. Now, this is evident in Paul's life. If you just look at 1 Corinthians 15, and it says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Now, what does that mean? A, a person who murdered Christians can say, there's a second chance for me. And the grace of God can change me. I, can, I don't need to be stuck wherever I was. That's why Paul says, I forget what lies behind. I press on what's sliding ahead. I'm not staying here anymore. Paul was changed by grace. And the question is, are we? Are we? Well, let's keep going. God's grace also sustains. This is one of the mo my most famous tru truths in Scripture. God will always provide what I need. Always. His provision will never fail. Uh, life has a lot of ups and downs, doesn't it? Sometimes you're on a mountaintop, and sometimes you're not. And sometimes our trials come from being on a mountaintop. And you say, what? Yes. How about Paul? Paul, through no asking of his own, was transported to the third heaven. And it says, I don't even know if I was in there in my body or not, but I was there. And I saw things. I experienced things. I heard things that no man on earth had ever seen before. It was astounding, overwhelming. And I came back to earth and myself, and God says, you know what, Paul? I'm not sure this is going to be good for you. Um, what does it say? 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I, I just, I'm astounded on my reading this. I delight in weaknesses? That, you're looking at a weak guy standing right here that living this verse. When I am weak, what does it say? Then I am strong. Why? Because I'm not trusting in me anymore. I'm trusting in him, and his power is on display. This is what this is about. God knows how to use us and sustain us. So whatever you need in any situation, God will provide. But what does sufficient grace even look like? What well, means to me something very simple. Whatever you lack, he will provide. If you need encouragement, I will encourage you. If you need supply, I will supply you. If you need comfort, I will comfort you. What he said, I am the God of all comfort. I know how to comfort. So remember, we don't have something in our lives, though, and I think a lot of us live here, and I want to say this one quick word. When I was small, I was probably seven or eight, and we had a death in our family, 
and I was sad, but I was thinking ahead. I was thinking, what happens if I lose my dad? How will I get through? How will I make it? And I was troubled. My dad came and sat on my bed and almost chuckled. And he said, son, that trial isn't yet upon you, and you don't have tomorrow's grace today. Don't take on tomorrow's trouble because God hasn't supplied the grace to go through it yet. And I said, well, he says, maybe Jesus was right when he says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. See, your grace for tomorrow's trouble will come tomorrow, not today. You need to live now and know that his grace is sufficient now for today. Don't worry about tomorrow and what you might have to do or what's going to happen with your job. The grace to go through that situation is not yet yours. God knows how to deliver on time. So what's, am I going to have enough grace though? We can ask ourselves, is there enough grace in God's boundless supply? And that sounds almost like an insane question, doesn't it? Does God have enough? Um, let's see at John 1, verse 16 and 17. It says, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. Wait a minute. We've received grace in place of grace already given? What? That means before the grace you've already received has even run out, more grace has been piled on top. And before that's gone, more is on top of that. And you can't even ask fast enough before grace is on top of that. People, do you understand that God is a gracious, giving God? Before you even knew him, did you know that God was pouring out his grace on you? That you lived long enough to know him? That his grace poured out on family after family that have great family love and ties. They have good incomes. They have good health. They have good relationships. Those are all gifts of his grace already given. And so when we get salvation, it's a grace on top of a grace. God knows how to give. Do you know how to receive? Well, how do we get more, though? When we go through separate trials, though, there's, God has provided us two ways to ensure that we have enough grace. Because we can stand on the air hose of grace if we want. We can stand on the air hose of grace. Let me just cover the second one. One is humility. How is your pride factor? James chapter 4, he says, He gives more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes battles against the proud, but shows favor and gives grace to the humble. Do you want grace? If you're proud, you're going to be uh, in for a long wait. It takes the dependent, humble heart to know, Lord, I can't make this. I need you. I need what you have to get God's grace. You can put your fist in his face and be proud and says, I can make it. I got this one. I got this one, Lord. Has anybody ever said that? I'm going to tell you that's me. I've got this one. We don't. We need to be humble before God, and he gives more grace. How about the second one? 
prayer. The verse is right over here. Hebrews 4.16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize our, with our weaknesses. Do you understand that right there? We have someone in the third heaven that knows what it's like to be lonely. They know what it's like to be abandoned. They know what it's like to be betrayed. They know what it's like to be cursed. They know what it's like to have nothing. They know what it's like to hurt and to go through physical affliction. They know. And not only do they know, it says what? Who is not unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He knows and he cares. He says, I know exactly what they need. When they're going through this, Father, I've been there. And when a human being goes through this, this is what they need. This is what they need. And what does it say? But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find what? Grace. Grace in our time of need. Do you want grace? Approach God and ask him because he understands what you're going through today. There might not be one other person in this room who really understands the pain you have, but there's one in the third heaven who does. There's one in the third heaven who does, and he can help, and he will give you grace to get through that situation. Hmm. See, God can meet your needs. Annie Johnson Flint wrote a hymn that I don't have time to go through the whole thing. But it says, He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. He to added afflictions, He addeth His mercy. To multiplied trials, He multiplies peace. And as the chorus of the song, His love has no limits, His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Our God is giving. People, we got a God who knows how to give. So how should us, as grace redeemed, grace changed, grace sustained people live? This sounds like the, the question... Francis Schaeffer used to ask, how should we then live? How should we then live? Well, you know, you might be the only person in your neighborhood, in your relational world, that has the grace of God resting in your life. You might be the only one with skin on that people get to see grace in your world. Let me tell you a story, because I think we all need examples of what grace really looks like. Let's go to John chapter 8. Jesus, the consummate teacher, was in the middle of his Bible study. Well, maybe it wasn't a Torah study. Um, it was a study. He was teaching. He said he was surrounded by men listening to him teach. And in the middle of this scene comes the teachers of the law and the Pharisees dragging a half-clothed woman in the middle and screaming and breaking into the meeting without invitation. Teacher, teacher, we have caught this woman in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses commands us to stone her. What do you say? Jesus 
didn't seem flummoxed by the intrusion. He, he didn't say, what are you bothering me with this here? I'm in the middle of my study. Can't you see that? Go do what the law says. Is that what Jesus did? No. What it said Jesus did, it says he left his position and got low and started writing in the dirt. You see, he was lower than his students. He was lower than the woman. He was lower than his accusers. This God that stepped out of heaven and went low went down and wrote in the dirt. While he's writing, its narrative says that his accusers didn't seem impacted by what he was doing. And they kept intruding. Teacher, aren't you going to answer us? What are you going to do about this? What do you say? Jesus slowly rose, looked at the men, and said, if there's any of you that have no sin, you throw the first stone. And guess what he did after that? He got low again and started writing in the dirt. The next thing you hear in the story are the sound of maybe carried rocks to the scene hitting the ground, dropped. Men coming in anger and in judgment, slipping away quietly. From the oldest first, it says. When all the men were gone, Jesus stood up and for the first time addressed the woman. And he says, Sister, where are they? Who is here to condemn you? And she says, No one, sir. And he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is what grace looks like. The only person in that scene that had a right to judge was Jesus, and he's the only one who didn't. The woman judged herself. She knew she was unworthy. She came in scared, naked, afraid. The men thought they had the right to judge because they carried the law of Moses, but the only one qualified to judge did not. Now, my question to you might be a different question than you normally get. Who are you in this story? You're probably represented more closely by one of these people in the story. Are you the figures that drug somebody into the authorities saying, they did wrong, they slipped up, I'm going to point out your faults. I could see them all. Is that you? Are you the woman that knows I'm guilty? I've messed up big time. Will there be anyone who will be kind and merciful to me? I deserve nothing except death. Or are you Jesus? Are we the Jesus ones that would stand up and represent God's grace in this situation? See, I think it's hard for us sometimes when someone says, I want you to exhibit the grace of God to know what to do. Sometimes it seems too out there we can recognize it when we see it. If I'm looking over here at these boxes, do you recognize the grace of God sitting on that stage? All those boxes represent a gift given for someone they don't know, don't know their situation, 
because of what? The love of God gave them grace. And they're extending that grace that they might know their Jesus to someone else. That's just, that's just a pile of the grace of God right there. We ought to be thankful for that. That's a grace of God. Because a grace received that doesn't make us graceful is really no grace at all. Are you a graceful person? Has God's grace changed you? Let me just share with you. Nobody gets this perfectly. Last night, while being the man of God, preparing for my message, about 9.30 last night, my wife asked me a question and I snipped an ungracious response. Now, the words of the response were accurate. So it was truth without grace. Of course, God gives me about, oh, four nanoseconds before I have to go, oh. And I have to apologize, ask for forgiveness, because nobody masters this in this life. But we are reminded that we need to be graceful people. We need to be graceful people. So let me just give you some things to close the message out that would say what the Father's trying to accomplish with grace. A conveyor of God's grace starts with your mouth. Always speaks with grace. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Is that you? I don't have time to develop all these. I wish I did. The grace of God will cause you to use the gift you have. It says in 1 Peter, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Gift, remember, this is the grace gift you received to serve others as a faithful stewards of God's grace. You not using the grace gift God give you is being ungraceful. Did you know that? You're not extending the grace of God extended to you. God gave it to you to share with others, but you may not be sharing it with them. How about strives to live with peace with all and bitter to none? Are you the peacemaker that walks into a room? Or are you the one that agitates it and stirs it up? Not looking around, I don't want to see. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up. You see, it's our job to be peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Is that you when you walk? So I'm trying to give you some practical things. You can go through this list, but these are practical things that you could do because grace speaks with grace. When you leave this church service and go to the restaurant, and the waitress gives you the wrong order. Do you lace her with a truth? Or do you give grace? You see, grace causes us to speak with grace, to excel in giving, to be at peace, to be merciful. See, mercy is a strange thing because mercy really means you needed it. See, grace is undeserved. It's a gift given without cause. But mercy is you didn't get what you deserved. You've been given great mercy. Did you know that? And do you extend that same mercy to others? When the waitress messes up your order, when you are forgotten at the BART station, when someone doesn't come, from, come home from dinner on time, when you are falsely accused and someone needs mercy, how are you doing? How are you doing? Do you look like Jesus? Well, the last one there, I just need to highlight it because it says that we fearlessly share the good news of God's grace. It just came on me in this message that one of the most ungracious things we can ever do is not tell those around us 
about the grace we've received. Think of it this way. If we were all starving, and I found an unlimited supply of food and bread, and I didn't tell you where it was, not because I might run out, but because I just don't tell you. That is most ungracious and unkind. So what are we thinking here? We witness not because of duty and obligation. We're just extending the grace of God that God's given us. We're saying, wow, we're one blind beggar telling another beggar where to find food. That's all the grace of God is. We're telling him how to find Jesus and be rescued from this sin of this world. Well, let me close with a couple things. It's really kind of sometimes sad to me that I see sometimes so little grace even inside the walls of churches. We're right. We're theologically precise. We can tell error from truth. You know, we're, we're, we're very much, you know, like the uh, students of the word. The difficulty is, are you gracious? Let me just end with this. There's a hymn. It says, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Did you know that that grace is there? It exceeds anything you might bring today. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. I know you could sing it with me. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. If we really believe that, if we really believe that, we'd be jumping up and down because we live with guilt so much of our day that we don't trust the grace of God that is greater than our sin. But I want to speak to some people here that may not have this because in order to have this changed life, in order to have this sustained life, you need to have salvation in Jesus Christ. There's a step one. And the verse of the last verse of this song says it well. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. By the way, all, that includes you. You that are longing to see God's face, will you this moment his grace receive? If you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, please, I plead with you to take this free gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He will change your life, not just for this life, but for eternity. There will be people down in front after the message. I would just encourage you to come talk with them. They'll be glad to share this amazing grace with you. But for those that maybe have in this sermon heard things that said, I'm not doing too good on that one. I'm, maybe I'm not as gracious as I would like to be. Did you know right there, there's grace for you too. God's grace extends to even those that have, should have been doing it right, but have not. And what is interesting about that is you just need to let God know Hey, Lord, forgive me for not being gracious to others like you want me to. Help me to be like Jesus in extending grace today.